Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we are in a series taking a journey through the book of Revelation uh, at quite good speed. And today we're going to look at Revelation 4 and 5, which is all about what heaven is like, and particular, particularly we're going to see the action in heaven at the start of the day of the Lord, the tribulation. And we're going to see the scroll with the seven seals and what that is all about. Last time we saw in Revelation 1.19 that Jesus gave John the outline of the whole book of Revelation. He said, number one, write the things which you've seen. That's the, the vision of Christ in chapter one. And then he says, second, write down the things which are now. That's the church age which was described by his seven letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, where the church is revealed in, as, in its ministry on earth as Christ's lampstand, as Christ's light, holding forth the word of God. These seven letters chart the whole course of the church age, and they give Christ's guidance and his warnings and his promises for the believers in the church age. And I've explained that in my book, The Panorama of Prophecy, I, in, one of the, in the appendix, I give how that works, how the seven letters describe the whole church age. And, and so we are actually moving forward now, past the church age, and to see what happens next. Because the third thing he said, after he said the things which are now, the church age, thirdly, there's a third category, he says, write the things which will take place after this. That is, the things that take place after the church age. And those are described in chapters 4 to 22. That's the church in heaven, chapter 4 and 5. And then the, the tribulation on earth, that's chapters 6 to 18. The second coming of Christ, that's chapter 19. The millennium, that's chapter 20 and the final judgment. And then the eternal state in chapters 21 and 22. So this shows that the whole book is written chronologically in sequence order, describing future events in order. So as we go through Revelation, we're going to find this principle applies consistently because Revelation is future history. Now to confirm that the church age actually ends at chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, and that the things that must shortly take place after the church age start in chapter 4, uh, Let's go to Revelation 4, verse 1, where John is called up by a trumpet into heaven. It says, after these things, which is after the church age, as described in the seven letters, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And there's that phrase again. So after Revelation 2 and 3, with its prophetic overview of the church age. In chapter 4, verse 1, John is taken to heaven and told he will be shown the things which must take place after this, after the church age. And so these words are clearly introducing a new section of the book using the very same phrase that was used in, in chapter 1, verse 19, uh, where John is told he'll be shown things that will take place after the church age. So therefore, it's clear that Revelation chapter 4 onwards reveals events that take place after the church age. As we read on, 
we, we see, we'll see that Revelations 4 to 18 it gives a detailed sequence of events in the tribulation from their initiation from heaven in chapters 4 and 5 leading to their conclusion at the second coming of Christ in chapter 19. And so this is one thing that shows that the church age ends before the tribulation begins. Just as the church age will end with the rapture of the church into heaven when we hear the sound of a trumpet and we hear the voice of Jesus calling us up to, to, to himself, just in the same way, John was, as it were, caught up into heaven. It's as a picture, as a type of the rapture of the church. He was also taken forward in time. Time travel is in the Bible because he was able to see with his own eyes the events of what happens in the future, after the church age. And he observed firsthand the events of the tribulation. He saw it from above. And so John's rapture is a type of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. It confirms the pre-trib rapture. In Revelation 4, verse 1, John is taken up to heaven, transported forward in time to observe the events in heaven that initiate the tribulation on the earth. And this is Revelation 4 and 5, which we'll look at tremendous chapters here, showing heaven just before the start of the tribulation. So let's go there. Let's go to God's throne room in Revelation 4. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper, and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like the emerald. There are three stones here, corresponding to the three persons of the Trinity. There is one God on the throne, yet on the throne is seen two shining lights. One is jasper, transparent like diamond, the other, which is the father, and the other is blood, a blood red stone, that's sardius, and that's the sun. You know, if the bright light of God's holiness was not mediated us to us through the sun, through his blood, then it would be a throne of judgment, not a throne of grace. And also radiating out from the throne is a multicolored rainbow like emerald which is green, that's the color of life. And this represents the multifaceted grace of God that's in the Holy Spirit, flowing out from the cross, from the Father and the Son uh, on the throne, flowing from the Father through the Son. Then in verse 4, John saw the church, which is now raptured to heaven, and the that's, that's the 24 elders. The church is represented by the 24 elders who are seated on thrones. We read, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And then John saw a sevenfold spirit before the throne, and the four living creatures, the cherubim, which were the guardians of the throne. As God is about to release judgment on the earth, that is signified in verse 5. It says, from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. His authority on the earth and his right to judge the world is affirmed now in chapter 4 on the basis that he is the creator and therefore the owner of all things. We see that in verse 10. It says, the 24 elders fell down before him 
who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God as the creator. The, now, the presence of these elders proves that the church is already in heaven before the tribulation even begins, which is in chapter 6. Because, as we will see, it's the opening of the book with the seven seals in Revelation 5 that initiates the events of the tribulation on the earth. Now, why do we say that the elders must represent the church? The elder is a term that always describes a man of maturity and authority. There's no biblical basis for identifying the elders as angels. Angels are never called elders. And angels don't sit on thrones, but men do. Angels are servants, but we will reign with Christ and we will judge angels. So these elders must be men. And eldership is a, rep a church in the term. It's a representative office of the church. The elders of a local church represent the whole church. And likewise, we see these are the church chief elders of the universal church. They represent the whole church. And the fact that they're called elders actually denotes that they represent a larger group of people uh, by virtue of their spiritual maturity. And, and this is proved by the song that they sing in Revelation 5. And that reveals who this larger group is that they represent because they sing this. It says, The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having golden vials full of odors, the prayers of the saints, so they're also priests offering up the prayers of the saints. That means, again, that they must be men because they represent these saints and they offer these prayers up as part of being a royal priesthood. And it says that they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every kindred, tongue, people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. These are men speaking, talking about how they've been redeemed. Notice they sing about how they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, so they're redeemed men. Secondly, they represent a large group of people who've also been re redeemed, who are from every nation and tribe and tongue. He says, you've redeemed us from every nation. So it's not just talking about the 24. It's talking about all of redeemed mankind that they represent. This is the church, of course. So they represent the whole church. So it's fitting this term is used, the term elder, because elder is an established leadership term in the church. When they sung, you have redeemed us from, to God from every tribe, they're clearly talking about this larger group that they represent in their worship before God's throne. Also, another confirmation is their royal priests. And the fact there are 24 elders points to David's organization of his priesthood into 24 divisions with a chief priest over, all, over each division in 1 Chronicles 24. So in other words, these are 24 chief priests over a larger royal priesthood and they represent the whole church is now in heaven. In other words, the rapture's happened before the tribulation begins. These elders are redeemed, they're resurrected, they're rewarded men. 
they sing of their completed redemption. In other words, they're not just in their disembodied spirits. They, they've been resurrected and rewarded and given robes and crowns and thrones. They've been rewarded at God's Christ judgment seat. They've been clothed in shining robes of glory. They're wearing golden crowns. That's their eternal rewards. They're sitting on thrones of authority. And so they're not disembodied spirits. They're resurrected men who've passed through the judgment seat of Christ and received their reward. And so what's true about the 24 elders must be true about the whole church because that they represent. The whole church must be already raptured to heaven before the tribulation starts with the breaking of the seven seals in the chapters uh, 6. So the elders represent the whole church in heaven that's raptured, that's gone through the judgment seat of Christ, received their rewards even before, as I say, the tribulation starts on earth. We go now to Revelation 5 that contains the key to understanding the nature of the tribulation. This key is all connected with the opening of the scroll or the book with seven seals. Let's read it. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose it or break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open or read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed or overcome, so as to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And so everything points to the fact that this scroll is vitally important. It's a very dramatic moment. And this scroll has to be the title deed of the earth. The dramatic nature of these verses tell us that this book is of immense importance. And if no one can be found to open it, who's worthy to open it, the consequences would be tragic. But there is one, and only one person, who is qualified to open it. And we hear that his worthiness is based on who he is and what he's done. First of all, who is he? He's the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. In other words, a man born into the tribe of Judah and the royal house of David, who's the rightful king of the earth through the Davidic covenant. And also, he's the root or the origin of David. That is, he's also God. So he's the God-man Messiah. And so as the true king, he is the only one worthy with the right to open this book. And so this book must be the document that enshrines and proves his legal right to, to possess and rule the earth. If no one could be found to open it, no one would have the legal basis to to repossess the earth and restore the earth and deliver it and its people from evil. And that, of course, would be a cause of great sorrow. And, and secondly, he's worthy because of what he's done. He's done something that, you, that uniquely qualifies him to open the book. And it's simply put as that he has prevailed. He has overcome. This is explained further in the next verses. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. That really means it, it had been slain, but now it was risen again. 
This lamb, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so when he turned to look at this lion, this king, he saw a lamb who had been slain, but now was risen again, possessing all authority, that's the seven horns, and all power, that's the sevenfold spirit of God. And his coming to the throne and taking the book signifies he's about to take his authority and assert his authority on the earth. And in response, heaven breaks out into praise. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. See, what the lamb is about to do is in answer to the prayers of the saints that his kingdom would come on the earth. And their song is in verse 9, it says, They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. This is his overcoming. You were slain and have redeemed us to God, purchased us for God, by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We'll be part of this kingdom. Notice, it's all about his power and his authority. He's worthy to have power and dominion on the earth because he shed his blood. He overcomes sin for us. He overcomes death for, for us. He overcomes Satan for us. And because of his work as the Lamb of God, overcoming all evil, he is now worthy to reign. The lion, you see, is worthy to open the book and reign on earth because he was the Lamb who was slain. And by his blood, he purchased the whole earth, including all its people. He has overcome because the earth and its inhabitants had come under the power of the evil one. But he has paid the price to redeem them and take them back from the hand of the enemy, praise God. By his death and resurrection, he overcame. And so he's now worthy to rule as the lion. By redeeming the earth and all who dwell in it with his precious blood, he is now the rightful owner and of the earth. And so he alone has the right to sit as the lion on David's throne and reign over the earth and have his redeemed people reigning with him. See, it's all about dominion and power and the fact that Christ is about to take dominion over the earth. That's what the day of the Lord's all about. Christ now starting to move in judgment and repossess the earth. The praises in verse 9 declare that because he's the redeemer, he's worthy to open the book and reign on earth. And verse 12 confirms this. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, to rule, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And all creation then joins in. Blessing, honor, glory, and power, dominion be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So you see, the opening of the book has to do with asserting his legal right to possess and rule the earth. And all heaven declares his worthiness to do this. He's redeemed the earth. And this is the basis for everything else in the book of Revelation. All the action in the tribulation is based, starts here, because this is where Christ starts to asserts his authority to move and take the earth over. The law of redemption helps in the Jewish, uh, in the Old Testament, helps us understand what's going on here. It sheds extra light on what's happening. Um, and so let's look at some background to this from the Jewish law of redemption. You see, every family had a piece of promise of the promised land. And if they got into debt, they may have to sell it off and lose possession of it. In that case, a relative, a kinsman, could redeem it back for them to keep it in the family. Um, and to redeem means to purchase back. 
So this was the kinsman redeemer. And sometimes they even had to sell themselves as slaves. But they could be redeemed by a redeemer who had the wealth. When the kinsman redeemer purchased back the land, two title deeds were drawn up that proved his ownership and right to possess and rule the land. One was kept open for everyone to see, the other was kept sealed and stored in a safe place by the owner. We've actually got an example of this in Jeremiah 32. He followed this procedure when he bought some land. It says, I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed, according to the law and custom, and that which was open. So you see, there are two copies, an open copy and a sealed copy. If anyone, you see, questioned the ownership, they might have claimed that the open copy had been tampered with. And so to prove the, the right of the owner, they could unseal the sealed book, which the seal means it hasn't been tampered with, and then they could verify who was the true owner. So whenever there were people, say they were occupying the land, and say they opposed the Redeemer, returning to take charge of it, he would have to first prove his rights to possess the land and forcibly then evict anyone who was there unlawfully, who rejected his authority. So the first act of a true owner, redeemer, as he returned to the land he had purchased to take possession of it, was to open the sealed title deed. And that's what this book was, the title deed of the earth. And by doing that, he established his authority to act. It released him to immediately exercise his power, destroy their base of operation, reclaim his inheritance. Sometimes a redeemer purchased the land, but he couldn't immediately take possession of it. So it might remain in the hands of unlawful tenants for a long time, uh, who would be unwilling to relinquish it. Eventually, the Redeemer must come and take possession of his land and evict them. Since they dispute the ownership, as his first act of forcibly taking the land, he would bring forth the sealed title deed, break its seals, read the contents, demonstrating his right to take control of the land he had previously purchased. And that's exactly what's happening in Revelation 5 and 6 with the opening of the seven seals. The Bible, you see, is the open book that tells us that Christ is the Redeemer, he's the rightful King of the earth, the son of David who will sit on David's throne, and his worthiness to do this is derived from the fact that he purchased the earth with his blood, as well as all who dwell in it. The closed book is kept sealed in heaven, and only Christ, the true owner, has the right to open it to prove his right to judge and rule. You see, the earth is owned by God, but it was leased to man as the tenant possessor, through sin, the first Adam delivered his authority to Satan, lost his dominion on the earth, was sold into slavery to sin. We needed a redeemer, and the earth needed to be redeemed. And so man allowed God's enemy to take control of the world. The only solution was for a kinsman redeemer who was willing and able to pay the price to redeem the earth and redeem man from slavery and so restore man's dominion on earth. That's why Jesus had to become a man, the second Adam, to be our kinsman redeemer. It had to be a relative. With his precious blood, he didn't just purchase man from the hand of sin and Satan. He also redeemed the earth with his blood so that man's possession of the earth and dominion over it could be restored and Satan removed from the scene. 
So when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay for our salvation, he paid and laid the basis for man's dominion to be restored on the earth. And so now God's kingdom can be established on the earth through the second Adam and those who are in him. That's why Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. He has the right to take possession of the earth and rule over it and evict any evil tenants, whether they be Satan, demons, or, or, or evil men. As the redeemer, possessor, and rightful ruler of the earth, Jesus alone possesses the title deed. And he has the authority to take possession of the earth by force. He could have done this at any time. But in God's plan, he had to wait 2,000 years. He had to sit at God's right hand. You remember Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your, foot, your footstool. In other words, the time that Jesus now starts to move in judgment, he brings his enemies under his feet. That's what happens in the tribulation. And by bringing his enemies under his feet, this is a new phase of history that starts when Jesus left the throne at the rapture. And now he is standing uh, before the throne with the seven seals. He's no longer sitting. He is now taking dominion over his enemies and bringing his enemies under his feet. And so he has authority to do that. He, he could have done it at any time, but he waited 2,000 years before enforcing his authority to evict Satan and the wicked and take possession of the earth. That's exactly what he's going to do in the tribulation, the day of the Lord. Totally different to the church age. So to do that, again, he must first establish his legal right to judge and rule the earth. And so the act of opening the title deed, breaking the seals, is the act of asserting his right of dominion as he starts to forcibly take possession of the earth. It is the moment, therefore, where as he opens the seals, that he begins to enforce his authority as the owner, the judge, the king of the earth. It signifies, the opening of the seals signifies that he is now moving in judgment against his enemies. And that's why as soon as he breaks a seal in heaven, the judgments are released on the earth. And that's what we're going to see next time we're going to see the opening of the seven seals. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And our vision is to spread the in-depth teaching of the Word of God to the ends of the earth, but we need your help. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. If you're enjoying our programs on the book of Revelation, you may well want to get into it in more depth. And so I've actually got a CD series where I taught this in, in great depth, seven or eight CDs in each box. Book of Revelation, part one. Book of Revelation, part two. Book of Revelation, part three. We go through the whole book of Revelation. And uh, you will, uh, this will take you verse by verse through the book and you, you will get great benefit from understanding the times we're living in and what is going to happen soon. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. 
You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.